Book Four, Chapter Three of the History of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book Four, Chapter Three, in which Catherine tries to nail up the weather glass to set fair. It is to be feared that intimate acquaintance with Lady Carmody's present attitude of mind would not have proved altogether satisfactory to that ardent idealist, Honoria St. Quentin, for unquestionably, as the busy weeks of the London season went forward, Catherine grew increasingly far from hating it all. At first she had found the varied interests and persons presented to her, the rapid interchange of thought, the constant movement of society, slightly bewildering but as julius march had foretold old habits reasserted themselves the great world and the ways of it had been familiar to her in her youth she soon found herself walking in its ways again with ease and speaking its language with fluency and this though in itself of but small moment to her procured her indirectly a happiness as greatly desired as it had been little anticipated for to richard the great world was as yet something of an undiscovered country going forth into it he felt shy and diffident though a lively curiosity possessed him the gentler and more modest elements of his nature came into play he was sensible of his own inexperience and turned with instinctive trust and tender respect to her in whom experience was not lacking he had never so he told himself quite understood how fine a lady his mother was how conspicuous was her charm and distinguished her intelligence and he clung to her grown man though he was even as a child entering a bright room full of guests clings to its mother's hand finding therein much comfort of encouragement and support he desired she should share all his interests reckoning nothing worth the doing in which she had not a part he consulted her before each undertaking talked and laughed over it with her in private afterwards thereby unconsciously securing to her halcyon days a honeymoon of the heart of infinite sweetness so that she on her part thanked god and took courage and indeed it might very well appear to catherine that her heroic remedy was on the road to work an effectual cure the terror of lawless passion and of evil provoked by that fair woman clothed as with the sea-waves crowned and shod with gold whom she had withstood so manfully in spirit in the wild autumn night departed from her she began to fear no more for surely her son was wholly given back to her his heart still free his life still innocent and not only did this terror depart but her anguish at his deformity was strangely lessened the pain of it lulled as by the action of an anodyne for witnessing the young man's popularity seeing him so universally courted and welcomed observing his manifest power of attraction she began to ask herself whether she had not exaggerated the misfortune of that same deformity and the impediment that it offered to his career and chances of personal happiness she had been morbid hypersensitive the world evidently saw in his disfigurement no such horror and hopeless bar to success as she had seen 
It was, therefore, a dear world, a world rich in consolation and promise. It smiled upon Richard, and so she smiled upon it, gratefully, trustfully, finding in the plenitude of her thankfulness no wares save honest ones set out for sale in the booths of Vanity Fair. A large hopefulness arose in her. She began to form projects calculated, as she believed, to perpetuate the gladness of the present. Among other tender customs of Richard's boyhood, into which Catherine at this happy period drifted back, was that of going now and again to his room at night, and gossiping with him for a merry yet somewhat pathetic half-hour, before herself retiring to rest. It fell out that towards the middle of June there had been a dinner-party at the Barkings on a scale of magnificence unusual even in that opulent house. It was not the second or even the third time that Richard and his mother had dined at Albert Gate, for Lady Louisa had proved the most assiduously attentive of neighbours. Little Lady Constance Quayle was with her. The young girl had brightened notably of late. Her prettiness was enhanced by her timid and appealing playfulness. She had been seized, moreover, with one of those innocent and absorbing devotions towards Lady Carmody that young girls often entertain towards an elder woman, following her about with a sort of dog-like fidelity, and watching her with eyes full of wistful admiration. On the present occasion the guests at the barking dinner had been politicians of distinction, members of the then existing government. A contingent of foreign diplomatists from their various embassies had been present, together with various notably smart women. Later there had been a reception, largely attended, and music, the finest that Europe could produce and money could buy. Oh, Louisa climbs giddy heights, Mr. Quayle had said to himself, with an attempt at irony. But in point of fact, he was far from displeased, for it appeared to him the house of barking showed to uncommon advantage to-night. Louisa has no staying power in conversation, and her voice is too loud, but in snippets she is rather impressive, he added, and oh, how very diligent is Louisa! Driving home, Richard kept silence until just as the brougham drew up, and then he said abruptly, "'Tired? No? That's right. Then come and sit with me. I want to talk. I haven't an ounce of sleep in me somehow to-night.' It was hot, and when, some three-quarters of an hour later, Catherine entered the big bedroom on the ground floor, the upper sashes of the window were drawn low behind the blinds, letting in the muffled roar of the great city as an undertone to the intermittent sound of footsteps or the occasional passing of a belated carriage or cab. It formed an undertone also to Richard's memory of the music to which he had lately listened, and the delight of which was still in his ears and pulsing in his blood, making his blue eyes bright and dark, and curving his handsome lips into a very eloquent smile, as he lay back against the piled-up pillows of the bed. "'Good heavens! How divinely Morabita sang!' he said, looking up at his mother as she stood looking down on him. "'Better even than in Faust last night. I want to hear her again just as often as I can. Her voice carries one right away, out of oneself, into regions of pure and unmitigated romance. All things are possible for the moment.' 
one becomes as the gods omnipotent we've got the box as usual on saturday mother haven't we do you remember if she sings catherine replied that the great soprano did sing i'm glad richard said and yet i don't know that it's particularly wholesome to hear her after being as the gods one descends with rather too much of a run to the level of an ordinary mortal he turned on his elbow restlessly and the movement altered the lie of the bedclothes thereby disclosing the unsightly disproportion of his person through the light blanket and sheet and if one's own level happens unfortunately to be below that of even the ordinary mortal well well don't you know oh my dear catherine put in softly richard lay straight on his back again and held out his hand to her sit down do he said turn the big chair round so that i may see you i like you in that frilly white dressing-gown thing don't be afraid i'm not going to be a brute and grumble you're much too good to me and i know i'm disgustingly selfish at times i was this winter but the past is past catherine put in again very softly yes please god it is he said in some ways he paused and then spoke as though with an effort returning from some far distance of thought uh, yes i like you in that white frilly thing but i like that new black gown of yours to-night too you look so glorious do you mind my saying so and no woman walks as well as you do i compared i watched there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a woman walk really well or a man either for that matter then he caught at her hand again laughing a little no i'm not going to grumble he said upon my word mother i swear i'm not here let's talk about your gowns i should like to know shall you never wear anything but grey or black never not even to please you dicky oh that's so delicious with you he exclaimed every now and then you bring one up short one knocks one's head against a stone wall there's an indomitable strain in you i only hope you've transmitted it to me i'm afraid i need stiffening i beg your pardon he added quickly and courteously it strikes me i'm becoming slightly impertinent that woman's voice has turned my brain and loosed the string of my tongue so that i speak words of unwisdom you enjoyed her singing too though didn't you i thought so catching sight of you while it was going on attended by the faithful ludovic and little lady constance it's quite touching to see how she worships you and wasn't miss st quentin with you too yes i thought so i can't quite make up my mind about honoria st quentin sometimes she strikes me as one of the loveliest women here and she can walk if you like it's a joy to see her and then again she seems to me altogether too long and off-hand somehow and boyish and then too richard moved his head against the white pillows and stared up at the window where the blind sucked with small creaking noises against the top edge of the open sash she fights shy of me and personal feeling militates against admiration you know i am sorry for i rather want to talk to her about oh well a whole lot of things but she avoids me 
i never get the opportunity oh, my darling don't you think that is partly imagination well, perhaps it is he answered i dare say i do indulge in unnecessary fancies about people's manner and so on i can't very well be off it you know and every one is really very kind to me morabita was perfectly charming when i thanked her in very floundering italian it's a pity she's so fat but never mind the fat vanishes to all intents and purposes when she begins to sing and old barking is as kind as he can be i feel awfully obliged to him though his ministrations to-night amounted to being slightly embarrassing he brought me cabinet ministers and under-secretaries and gorgeous germans and turks in batches and even a real live chinaman with a pigtail <laughs> mother do you remember the cabinets at home in the long gallery i used to dream about them and that chinaman gave me the queerest feeling to-night it was idiotic but did i ever tell you when i was a little chap i was always dreaming about war or something from which i couldn't get away others could but for me from circumstances don't you know there was no possibility of scuttling and the little chinese figures on the black lacquer cabinets were mixed up with it as i say it gripped me to-night in the midst of all those people and oh yes old barking is very kind he went on with a change of tone only i wish lady louisa would warn him he need not trouble himself to be amusing he came and sat by me towards the end of the evening and told me the most inane stories in that inflated manner of his verily they were ancient as the hills and a weariness to the spirit but that good-looking young fellow dacia swallowed them all down with the devoutest attention and laughed aloud in all that he conceived to be the right places <laughs> a pause came in richard's flow of words he moved again restlessly and clasped his hands under his head catherine had seldom seen him thus excited and feverish a sense of alarm grew on her lest her heroic remedy was after all not working a wholly satisfactory cure for there was a violence in his utterance and in his face a certain recklessness of speech and of demeanour very agitating to her oh everyone's kind awfully kind he repeated looking away at the sucking blind again and i'm awfully grateful to them but uh, i tell you that woman's voice has got me and made me drunk made me mad drunk i almost wish i'd never heard her i think i won't go to the opera again emotion that finds no outlet in action only demoralizes one and breaks up one's philosophy and she makes me know all that might be and is not never never can be oh good god what a glorious what an amazing business i could have made of life if he slipped a little on the pillows had to unclasp his hands hastily and press them down on either side of him to keep his body fairly upright in the bed his features contracted with a spasm of anger if i had only had the average chance he added harshly if i had only started with the normal equipment and as she listened the old anguish lately lulled to rest in catherine's heart arose and cried aloud 
but she sought resolutely to stifle its crying strong in faith and hope i know my dearest i know she said pleadingly and yet since we have been here i have thought perhaps we had a little underrated both your happy gift of pleasing and the readiness of others to be pleased it seems to me dicky all doors open if you stretch out your hand well my dear i would have you go forward fearlessly i would have you more ambitious more self-confident i see and deplore my own cowardly mistake instead of hiding you away at home and keeping you to myself i ought to have encouraged you to mix in the world and fill the position to which both your powers and your birth entitle you i was wrong i lament my folly but there is ample time in which to rectify my mistake richard's face relaxed i wonder i wonder he said i am sure she replied you are too sanguine he said your love for me blinds you to fact oh no no she replied again love is the only medium in which vision gains perfect clearness becomes trustworthy and undistorted instinctively catherine folded her hands as in prayer while the brightness of a pure enthusiasm shone in her sweet eyes that i have learned beyond all possibility of dispute it has been given me through much tribulation to arrive at that richard smiled upon her tenderly and then turning his head remained silent for a while the sullen roar of the great city invaded the quiet room through the open windows the heavy regular tread of a policeman on his beat a shrill whistle hailing a hansom from a house some few doors distant up the square and then an answering rumble of wheels and a clatter of hoofs richard's face had grown fierce again and his breath came quick he turned on his side and once more the dwarf proportions of his person became perceptible lady carmody averted her eyes fixing them upon his but even there she found sad lack of comfort for in them she read the inalienable distress and desolation of one unhandsomely treated by nature maimed and incomplete even the divine light resident within her failed to reconcile her to that reading she shrank back in protest once again against the dealing of almighty god with this only child of hers and yet such is the adorable paradox of a living faith even while shrinking and while protesting she flung herself for support for help upon the very being who had permitted in a sense caused her misery mother can i say something to you richard asked rather hoarsely at last anything in heaven or earth but it's a thing not usually spoken of as i want to speak of it it may seem indecent you won't be disgusted or think me wanting in respect or in modesty oh surely not lady calmady answered quietly yet a certain trembling took her a nervousness as in face of the unknown this strong young creature developed forces presented aspects in his present feverish mood with which she felt hardly equal to cope mother i want to marry oh i too have thought of that she said you don't consider that i'm debarred from marriage 
Oh, no, no, Catherine cried, a little sob in her voice. He looked at her steadily with those profoundly desolate eyes. It would not be wrong. It would not be otherwise than honourable, he asked. If doubts arose within Catherine of the answer to that question, she crushed them down passionately. No, my dearest, no, she declared. It would not be wrong. It could not, could not be so, if she loved you, and you loved whomsoever you married. But I'm not in love, at least not in love with any person who can become my wife. Yet that doesn't seem to me to matter very much. I should be faithful, no fear, to any one who was good enough to marry me. Enough of love would come, if only out of gratitude, towards the woman who would accept me as as I am, and forgive that which cannot be helped. Again trembling shook Catherine. So terribly much seemed to her at stake just then. Silently she implored wisdom and clear seeing might be accorded to her. She leaned a little forward, and taking his left hand held it closely in both hers. "'Dearest, that isn't all. Tell me all,' she said, "'or I cannot quite follow your thought.' Richard flung his body sideways across the bed and kissed her hands as they held his. The hot colour rushed over his face and neck, up to the roots of his close-cropped curly hair. He spoke, lying thus upon his chest, his face half buried in the sheet. "'I want to marry because—' "'Because I want a child. I want a son,' he said. No words came to Catherine just then, but she disengaged one hand and laid it upon the dear brown head, and waited in silence until the violence of the young man's emotion had spent itself, until the broad, muscular shoulders had ceased to heave, and the strong young hands to grasp her wrist. Suddenly Richard recovered himself, sat up, rubbing his hands across his eyes, laughing, but with a queer catch in his voice. "'I beg your pardon,' he said. "'I'm a fool, an awful fool. Hang Mora Beater and her voice and the golden houses of the gods, and beastly, showy omnipotence to which her voice carries one away. To talk sense, mother, just brutal common sense.' My fate is fixed, you know. There's no earthly use in wriggling. I'm condemned to live a cow's life and die a cow's death. The pride of life may call, but I can't answer. The great prizes are not for me. I'm too heavily handicapped. I was looking at that young fellow, Dacia, tonight, and considering his chances as against my own. Oh, I know there's wealth in plenty. The pasture's green enough to make many a man covet it, and the stalls well bedded down. I don't complain. Only, mother, you know, I know. What's the use of denying that which we neither of us ever really forget? And then sometimes my blood takes fire. It did tonight, and the splendour of living being denied me, I am tempted to say a black mass. One must take it out somehow, and I know I could go to the devil as few men have ever gone, magnificently, detestably, with subtleties and refinements of iniquity. He laughed again a little, and hearing him, his mother's heart stood still. 
verily i have advantages he continued there should be a picturesqueness in my descent to hell which would go far to place my name at the head of the list of those sinners who have achieved immortality richard richard lady carmody cried do you want to break my heart quite no he answered simply i'd infinitely rather not break your heart i have no ambition to see my name in that devil's list except as an uncommonly ironical sort of second best but then we must make some change some radical change at times lately i felt as if i was a caged wild beast blinded its claws cut the bars of its cage soldered and riveted no hope of escape and yet the vigour the immense longing for freedom and activity there all the while richard stretched himself poor beast poor beast poor beast he said shaking his head and smiling i tell you i get absurdly sentimental over it at times and then happily there came a momentary lapse in the entirety of his egoism he turned on his side and took lady carmody's hand again and fell to playing absently with her bracelets oh, you poor darling how i torture you he said and yet now we've once broken the ice and begun talking of all this we're bound to talk on to the finish if finish there is you see these few weeks in london i've enjoyed them but still they've made me understand more than ever all i've missed life calls mother do you see and though the beast is blind and his claws are cut and his cage bolted yet when life calls he must answer must or run mad or die do you see and you shall answer my beloved oh never fear you will answer catherine replied proudly richard's hand closed hard upon hers thank you he said you were made to be a mother of heroes not of a useless log like me and that's just why i want to be good and to be good i want a wife that i may have that boy i could keep straight for him mother though i'm afraid i can't keep straight for myself and simply because it's right much longer i want him to have just all that i am denied i want him to restore the balance both for you and for me i may have something of a career myself perhaps in politics or something it's possible but that will come later if it comes at all and then it would be for his sake what i want first is the boy to give me an object and keep up my pluck and keep me steady i giving him life shall find my life in him be paid for my wretched circumscribed existence by his goodly and complete one he may be clever or not i'd rather of course he was not quite a dunce but i really don't very much mind so long as he isn't an outrageous fool if he's only an entirely sound and healthy human animal richard stretched himself upon the bed straightened the sheet across his chest and clasped his hands under his head again the desolation had gone out of his eyes he seemed to look afar into the future and therein see manly satisfaction and content 
His voice was vibrant, rising to a kind of chant. "'He shall run, and he shall swim, he shall fence, and he shall row,' he said. "'He shall learn all gallant sports, as becomes an English gentleman. "'And he shall ride, not as I ride, God forbid, like a monkey strapped on a dog at a fair, "'but as a centaur, as a young demigod.' we will set him stark naked on a bare-backed horse and see that he's clean-limbed perfect without spot or blemish from head to heel and once more catherine carmody held her peace somewhat amazed somewhat tremulous since it seemed to her the young man was drawing a cheque on the future which might only too probably be dishonoured and returned marked no account for who dare say that this child would ever come to the birth or coming what form it would bear yet even so she rejoiced in her son and the high spirit he displayed while the instinct of romance which inspired his speech touched an answering chord in and uplifted her by now the brief june night was nearly spent the blind still creaked against the open window-sash but the thud of horse-hoofs and the beat of passing footsteps had become infrequent while the roar of the mighty city had dwindled to a murmur as of an ebbing tide upon a shallow sand-strewn beach the afterlight of the sunset walking the horizon beneath the pole star from west to east broadened upward now towards the zenith even here in the heart of london the day broke with a spacious solemnity Richard raised himself, and sitting up, blew out the candles placed on the table at the bedside. Mother, he said, will you let in the morning? Lady Carmody was pale from her long vigil, and her unspoken yet searching emotion. She appeared very tall, ghost-like even, in her soft white raiment, as she moved across and drew up the sucking blind. Above the grey parapets of the houses, and the ranks of contorted chimney-pots, the loveliness of the summer dawn grew wide. Warm amber shaded through gradations of exquisite and nameless colour into blue, while across this last lay horizontal lines of fringed, semi-transparent, opalescent cloud. To Catherine, those heavenly blue interspaces spoke of peace, of the stilling of all strife, when the tragic yet superb human story should at last be fully told, and God be all in all she was very tired the struggle was so prolonged her soul cried out for rest and then she reminded herself almost sternly that the kingdom of god and the peace of it is no matter of time or of place but is within the devout believer ever present immediate possessing his or her soul and by that soul in turn possessed just then the sparrows roosting in the garden of the square awoke with manifold and vociferous chirping and chattering the voice from the bed called to her mother it said imperatively come to me you're not angry at what i've told you you understand you will find her for me lady carmody turned away from the open window and the loveliness of the summer dawn she was less tired somehow god was with her so she could not be otherwise than hopeful moreover the world had proved itself very kind towards her son it would not deny him this last request surely my dearest 
"'I think I've found her already,' Lady Carmody answered. Yet even as she spoke she faltered a little, recognising the energy and strength manifest in the young man's countenance, remembering his late discourse and the pent-up fires of his nature to which that discourse had borne only too eloquent testimony. For who was a young girl but just out of the schoolroom, a girl in pretty, fresh frocks, the last word of contemporary fashion, whose baby face and slow, wide-eyed gaze bore witness to her entire innocence of the great primitive necessities, the rather brutal joys, the intimate vices, the far-ranging intellectual questionings which rule and mould the action of mankind, who was she indeed to cope with a nature such as Richard's? Mother, tell me, who is it? And instinctively Catherine fell to pleading. She sat down beside the bed again and smoothed the sheet. You will be tender and loving to her, Dicky, she said, for she is young and very gentle and might easily be made afraid. You will not forget what is due to your wife, your bride, in your longing for a child? "'Who is it?' Richard demanded again. "'Ludovic's sister, little Lady Constance Quayle.' He drew in his breath sharply. "'Would she, would her people, consent?' he said. "'I think so. Judging by appearances, I'm almost sure they would consent.' A long silence followed. Richard lay still, looking at the rosy flush that broadened in the morning sky and touched the bosoms of those delicate clouds with living, pulsating colour. And he flushed too, all his being softened into a great tenderness, a great shyness, a quick yet noble shame, for his whole attitude towards this question of marriage changed strangely as it passed from the abstract, from regions of vague purpose and desire, to the concrete, to the thought of a maiden with name and local habitation, a maiden actual and accessible, whose image he could recall, whose pretty looks and guileless speech he knew. "'I almost wish she was not Ludovic's sister, though,' he remarked presently. "'It is a great deal to ask.' "'You have a great deal to offer,' Catherine said, adding, "'You can care for her, Dicky.' He turned his head, his lips working a little, his flushed face very young and bright. "'Oh, yes, I can care fast enough,' he said. "'And I think, I think I could make her happy. And you see, already she worships you. We would pet her mother and give her all manner of pretty things and make a little queen of her. And she would be pleased. She's a child, such a child.' Richard remained awake far into the morning, till the rose had died out of the sky, and the ascending smoke of many kitchen chimneys began to stain the expanse of heavenly blue. The thought of his possible bride was very sweet to him. But when at last sleep came, dreams came likewise. Helen de Valorbe's perfect face arose in reproach before him, and her azure and purple draperies swept over him, stifling and choking him as the salt waves of an angry sea. And then someone, it was the comely long-limbed young soldier, Mr. Dacia, whom he had seen last night at the Barking's great party when Morabita sang, and the soprano's matchless voice was mixed up in the strangest fashion with all these transactions, 
Daisha lifted Helen and all her magic sea waves from off him, setting him free. But even as he did so, Dicky perceived that it was not Helen after all whom the young soldier carried in his arms, but little Lady Constance Quayle. Whereupon Richard, waking with a start, conceived a wholly unreasoning detestation of Mr. Daisha, while along with that his purpose of marrying Lady Constance increased notably, waxed strong and grew, putting forth all manner of fair flowers of promise and of hope. End of chapter 3 of book 4